Welcome to Muffliato, a Harry Potter podcast where we fill your ears to prevent you from hearing nearby conversations. I'm Josh. And I'm Blake. And today we stock up on sugary supplies at Honeydukes as we continue our journey through Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban and come now to the eighth chapter, Flight of the Fat Lady. Now, it's quite funny because this, this Flight of the Fat Lady happens at the very end of the chapter, it's kind of like there's not much, you know, flight happening. It's probably like the last two paragraphs it almost feels like. Because a lot goes on in this chapter with seeing different teachers, Josh. I feel like we get a little mm. bit of Hagrid. We get a little bit of, I think, when Lupin alludes to like uh, Professor Trelawney, as well as when Binky dies and, you know, talking about Professor Trelawney yeah. there. And then Lupin and Snape comes into the situation. So we get kind of a quite a sort of a cohort of all the teachers. Yeah, this, this chapter really um, sets the stage for, I think what we're supposed to think Harry's whole autumn term is like, um, mm. you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a chapter like we've had previously where um, we actually like spend time in the classes, but, but like you said, it's almost like we dip into these different places and, and, and Harry's telling us what these themes are like, you know, what is defense against the dark arts? Like he really enjoys it. Um, why is care of magical creatures, super boring what's happening in, div- in divination these days. And so we, yeah. we have this kind of backdrop as we move to the next, Next chapters that all of this is going on in the background for as long as we aren't told anything different. Yeah, um, and Trelawney's you know predictions are, are coming true uh, to a certain extent. Yes. Yeah. Maybe not so much to, to Hermione. I love I love that. Uh, everybody's sympathetic. Uh, you know, oh Binky's dead, and then Hermione's like, now now just hang on a minute. Um, you know, <laughs> like, you know it kind of just. <laughs> everybody's like you know being sympathetic she comes along and she's kind of like just this almost like the the devil's advocate or whatever where she just makes this sort of statement it's like well actually like really is that are we you know yeah. are we fulfilling this this so-called prophecy or, or whatever with uh, just something as flimsy as as this we're just hearing the news about it not even the death you know the proper date of death uh and i i love that about hermione because it really it and i and i you know i i hadn't noted this originally with character development but i think that that does actually uh kind of is particularly important for hermione's character you know that is who she is you know she's about kind of logical fact uh and uh, that's why she kind of disagrees with divination so much yeah well and i think to what 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 would be a, a maturing aspect for his character is for, for her character is not to stop caring about the truth, but to realize that there's a time and a place to put that aside, not to forget it, not to ignore yes. it, but to realize that she's not going to win any friends or influence these people if she confronts the very person who's lost a pet. You know, maybe two days later she goes up and says tell me more about the situation, you know, and, yeah. and, and it has some questions, but she just lacks a bit of tact. You know? Yes. A bit of tact. That's it. No, very good. Well, should we summarize? Let's get into it. Harry's lone bright spot in his timetable is defense against the dark arts. Potions has gotten worse since Snape heard about Neville's Bogart and in divination, Trelawney regularly predicts his death. Care of magical creatures is no better as Hagrid continues to teach the students about the boring flobberworms. But with Professor Lupin, the third year students have been introduced to all kinds of magical pests and dangers. Quidditch training has started, which is another positive for Harry. But Oliver Wood has gone over the top with the preparation, convinced 
that this is the year that the team can finally win the Quidditch Cup. Admittedly, the team has had some unfortunate luck the past two years with Harry's injury in the first year and the cancellation of the tournament due to the opening of the Chamber of Secrets in the previous year. A notice has been posted in the Gryffindor common room about the upcoming Hogsmeade weekend. This is a sore spot for Harry as he still does not have his guardian's permission. After much pressure from Ron, he decides to ask McGonagall for an exception to this rule, but she will not adjust the rules for him. Stuck at Hogwarts with most of the students away, Harry wanders through the castle and meets Professor Lupin. The two of them have tea together, and Lupin shows Harry the Grindylow for an upcoming class. Harry decides that this is the time to finally ask why he was not permitted to face the Boggart in class. Lupin responds that he did not want the Boggart to turn into Lord Voldemort mid-class. Harry informs him that this too was his first thought, but he thinks that it actually would have turned into the form of a Dementor. Lupin is impressed by this, saying that it is very wise for Harry to fear fear itself most of all. Before Harry leaves, Professor Snape brings Lupin a goblet, which he proceeds to drink. Harry, alarmed, tries to warn Lupin, but he dismisses his concerns and drinks the potion anyway. The students return from the Hogsmeade trip with sweets and stories for Harry. Everyone makes their way to the Halloween feast, but Lupin is noticeably unhappy, even at such a joyous event. After the feast, the Gryffindors make their way back to the tower, and they notice the fat lady is missing from her portrait, and that the canvas has been attacked. Peeves informs the headmaster that Sirius Black was the one who ripped the painting. I just think, coming back to Lupin inviting kind of Harry in for tea, I just find that so funny, you know, what Harry would have been feeling at that moment to be like, um, okay, you know, like he's he's wandering around, he's just trying to like, you know, he's 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 alone, his friends are at Hogsmeade, and then a, a teacher invites him in for tea. Now, now, mind you, this is a, a great teacher that he likes, you know, like of his of his classroom, you know, he uh, he loves the the actual class. So it's probably not as bad as say Professor Trelawney inviting him for a cup of tea. Oh, could you imagine? That would be well, really Professor funny. Professor Trelawney would try and read the tea leaves, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, she would slowly just reach over to his empty she cup. That's right. She she would have definitely ulterior motives in uh, <laughs> in inviting Harry for tea. He's like, I can get him to drink the tea and then predict what will happen next. Yeah, I think if I had to have tea with a teacher, Trelawney would be at the bottom of the list. But uh, Lupin, it's quite an interesting experience for him. And, and there's a lot of stuff that happens, obviously, as you noted there in the chapter summary, but just with Snape coming in with the potion, but then also, you know, um, explaining creatures and things like that. And, and uh, I think it develops that Harry-Lupin relationship and getting ready for uh, the sort of the Dementor lessons uh, that's to come, uh, yes. which is which yeah. is pretty cool. But yeah, Harry's a Harry's a bit of a, a loner this chapter. Yeah, it's it's something where with with the whole Lupin relationship, this chapter is is fundamental and necessary for the Dementor lessons to make any sense later. Mm. Uh, you know, th- there's already this relationship that's being built. Um, and and we'll find out much more about it later on. But but this really sets the stage for why would Harry go to Lupin about about the Dementors? Yeah, yeah exactly. And it's like he, it's someone he trusts, right? Like you you got to think back a year, and uh, if say Dementors and all this was happening with uh, <laughs> with old uh, 
uh, Gilderoy uh, as uh, you know the the teacher of defense against the dark arts. But like Lockhart had no you know reputation with Harry in that way. Like you know Harry wasn't impressed by him. So no. so why would why would he approach you know to get help from someone like Lockhart? He'd much rather go to McGonagall or someone like that that he actually respected. Kind of that had talent. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking of that, Blake, and I, I was thinking, you know, who would he go to last year? Because yeah. as much as he respects McGonagall, oh. it's definitely not a warm and fuzzy relationship, <laughs> except when he's holding the Quidditch Cup, you know? McGonagall yeah. wants one thing and one thing only, and that's Quidditch glory. But <laughs> I, I'm thinking, you know, maybe he would have gone to Hagrid, and, and Hagrid would have been like, well, you know, Harry, uh, you just, just got to hide from the Dementors. <laughs> and, and you just think, like, it's so good that Lupin's here this year, because somebody needs to help Harry with the Dementors. And then yeah, finally, just, finally just something, something clicks in and, and Harry actually gets a skill that's kind of beyond his yeah. years, you know, like it's uh, yes. uh, as it, once yeah. he perfects that Patronus, it's, it's actually a skill that is quite impressive. Even later on, uh, a lot of people can't actually, yeah. you know, perform and, and bring out a corporeal kind of a, you know, has a sort of a, a yes. shape to it, uh, a form of a, yeah. of a Patronus. Yeah, and and arguably, once Harry learns his Patronus um, well, um, he could leave Hogwarts at this point because he only uses two spells: Expelliarmus and yeah. Expecto Patronus. Yeah, his education so, is you know, over. In, in three years, his three years, he's crammed all his magical education he'll ever learn into three years. And if that's not efficiency, I don't know what is. That's so true. Two spell. He's like a two spell kid, right? You've got the, uh, yeah. you know, this, this wonderful, wonderful spell that can just do all Expelliarmus. Like, it, you know, it can kill dark lords. It can, you know, get, you know, get others wands. It's just, it's great at disarming and many other things. But then you've got this other spell, which makes a pretty animal um, as well as, you know, is a defense against one creature. Yeah. So there you go. So true. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Very it could good. also send well, messages, though, can it, Josh? Like, yes, the, the which Patronus... it, does. it can. Yes, yeah. So, so yes. there you go. So that's, a, that's another. Although benefit. we, I don't think we ever see Harry doing that. No, we see Hermione doing that, and Harry and Ron are both amazed. Yeah, um, but yeah. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> like you already mentioned, Harry's a bit of a loner in this chapter, and in this chapter, I think a key theme that could could work to kind of summarize things would be um, solitude and solace. Beautiful, um, and. And as far as the solitude goes, you know, Harry is the, the obvious example, but, but if we kind of take one step back, we can really see that Professor Lupin is just as much a candidate for that solitude idea as Harry is. He is alone in his struggle with being a werewolf. He, he is alone um, on the staff. He, he doesn't, he doesn't ha- seem to have very many connections and, and he really does feel the weight of, of his sickness, of his condition. And then obviously Harry is is alone separated from his friends on this day but the two of them find some kind of of solace together they're able to um, really encourage one another and and give um give each other a bit of a a, a pickup on on this a, a pretty sad day for the two of them it's quite interesting because Lupin's secret that he is a werewolf, you know, which is the kind of the big secret for Lupin for this book. Mm. When he became a teacher, it's not like he was exposing his secret to more people. Well, like it might've been a few more people, you know, the teaching staff might've mm. changed since he was a kid, but 
you know, back when uh, Lupin was younger, you know, he was still yeah. taught by a lot of the teachers that are still remaining today. Um, and so, you know, it's not like he would have yeah. been able to, you know, or Dumbledore would have been able to conceal the fact that he was a werewolf and had mm. this kind of, you know, so-called like almost disease where he, he becomes an outcast. Um, mm. They would have just had to be like, no, 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 you know, he is a werewolf. And for those teachers that didn't know, now they know, uh, and all of a sudden it's like he can't kind of have that normal working relationship with the other teachers. There's this sort of thing in the way. And, 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 you know, as you said now, now he, like Harry in this chapter, especially shows his kind of like loneliness, you know, he's sitting in his office and not that that would be uncommon sitting in your own office, but it just, it really highlights the fact that he's, you know, he's doing things alone. He's not in the staff room uh, as, as such, he's, he's kind of just doing it by himself. And so when and Harry and him meet, it is a kind of a nice friendly meeting. Like it's a something that they both probably get rewarded from because Lupin gets yeah. to experience, you know, his, his best friend, uh, James, um, and, and Harry gets mm. to kind of start to have a, a bit more of a, a relationship with someone who's competent and a defense against the dark arts. Yeah, definitely. And, and I think too, with, with this whole Lupin as a, as a teacher thing, you know, coming from someone who really admires um, the, the character and, and thinks, you know, great, great teacher, um, favorite teacher, uh, probably my, my most liked character in the whole series. It's, it's a situation where you really are, are conscious of, of how, how JK Rowling has made us the reader to feel a certain way about the situation. Mm. You know, it's, it's made us think that it's outrageous for anyone to have an objection that a werewolf should be teaching at a school. When, when if you actually take a bit of a, a second look at it, you start to think, you know, Snape is definitely prejudiced against Lupin particularly, but he probably raised some valid points about a werewolf teaching at a school. Yes. Very valid. <laughs> you know, you, like, know, you don't, but, you, you want to, but, but we're kind of conditioned. Yeah. We're kind of conditioned to think because Lupin is this incredible example of a werewolf who, who still has so many parts of his life that are not affected by his condition that, you know, he, he might be an exception, but sadly we see at the end of the book that there comes a time where he is unable to control what's happening. And so there really is this, this is a risky move. And, and I think, again, as the reader, we are, are meant to feel some almost only empathy for Lupin and, and kind of drop our guard to, to the raw facts of how, how serious this condition is. Yeah, and Rowling does a great job with that. And, and this leads, obviously, as we've been talking a lot about Lupin, leads into the character development side of things where we do see Lupin a lot in this uh, chapter where we actually get kind of a inward look and, and as we've been discussing. And just it's really interesting because when we look at someone like Severus Snape who despises Lupin, you know, back and obviously mm. we we get this later on and uh, future events. We we know that you know Snape just hated that group that was hanging out. You know, yeah. James and uh, all the I should just say uh, Padfoot, Mooney, you know, Prongs and Wormtail, kind of all the all the gang there. Like Snape hated them, but yet like here Snape is making this potion that obviously protects students but it also protects Lupin from himself and so you know there's a there's a level 
of that kind of professionalism that, that Severus Snape actually has, you know, like he, it's not just, he's leaving Lupin to be like, Oh, if I sabotage this potion, sweet, I'll get the defense against the dark arts job. Like that's not how that works. Uh, and so Snape actually does kind of make the potion, uh, the Wolfsbane potion uh, for, for uh, Lupin, which is kind of that potion that he transforms, but he still has his wits about him, uh, which is a very mm. interesting thing that there is a werewolf once a month curled up in Lupin's office uh, as kids are sleeping around, you know, like and and yeah. walking between uh, uh, you know classes and stuff. It's just very interesting. Yeah, and I think this is probably a, as good a time as any to talk about the 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 key element in Dumbledore's plan um, is 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 reliant on Professor Snape um, that that this potion is is and, and that just really shows us very early in the book um, so it, not in the book very early in the series quite late in the book but very early in the series how much Dumbledore must trust Snape right he yeah. he over and over again will say that that he would never do anything to endanger the students and so unlike when he was a student Lupin does not go to the shrieking shack, but it, like you said, stays in his office. And, and so this, this potion is so powerful and what we're led to believe so complicated that so few potion masters could do it, that, that Dumbledore really does place the safety of the entire castle in Snape's hands. And that just gives us a really early look into the kind of trust that is felt between the headmaster and, and Snape. Yeah. If he can trust Snape that much, uh, you know, like he really has put his trust into Snape's mm. kind of conversion as, as you know, yeah, like back, yeah. back and from I, I think conversion this is a, of the dark arts. Yeah. And I think this is really important because I'd say without a doubt, Dumbledore is, is more concerned about the safety of his students than he is about his own personal safety. And so for him mm. to put this on Snape's plate is, is really the highest thing that he could do. You know, yeah. there is no greater trust because Dumbledore is certainly concerned. And, and we even see that later on when, when Snape is headmaster and he, and we see those flashbacks of Dumbledore making him swear to protect the students and, and beyond loyalty. We, we also get a really good, big insight into Snape's excellence. And, and this is something that will continue throughout the book is, is we really see Snape as a, a pretty subpar teacher, you know, because of his his bullying tendencies, because he never really explains things. Harry hates potions, so we get a pretty biased view of the subject and of the teacher. But but there's no doubt that Snape is a master at his craft, which we start to see here. Um, and and Lupin has nothing but good things to say about Snape, the potion master, later on in the book. Yeah, the, a genius man does not always make a great teacher. You know, there's other yeah, things 100%. involved mm. in teaching. Uh, you could probably have a, a teacher who has mediocre knowledge of something, but if they teach well uh, and they know how to connect with students, you know, I feel like that would be that would be fine. You know, obviously the best is have the knowledge and the teaching ability. Sure. Um, clearly, yeah. if it was a Slytherin's only class, I feel like Snape would loosen <laughs> up a bit and actually be a good teacher maybe. But, uh, you know, as soon as... Bouncing uh, as- off the walls like Gilderoy Lockhart. <laughs> yeah, imagine that, eh? Like all of a sudden, you know, some some Gryffindor walks in to be like, oh, Professor, someone's needed or something. And he just turns to like back and be like, you know, to his kind of reclusive like... 394. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then, and then he leaves and it's like, all right, guys, let's go. Let's put this in, you know, let's make this potion. 
yeah, that would be a bit funny. funny. So Snape is a, a very, very talented uh, potion maker. And I feel like mm. probably one of the best, you know, because this is not a potion that anyone would uh, just willingly attempt because it has such life and death stakes in play here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And and it really does seem that for, for Lupin, sadly, he can't get this potion in the outside world. That's how rare it is. And that's how cutting edge it is. Yeah. Right? Like he throughout the rest of the books, he's living a, a marginalized life because he can't get it. It's whatever version of the, the pharmacy there is in the wizarding world, whether that's at an apothecary, I'm not quite sure, but, but there's no kind of um, market for this potion. Snape has to make it himself. Yeah, which is pretty pretty rough on uh, Lupin not which, being able which to buy it. Which does make you wonder: could could Snape not leave teaching and be super wealthy? You know, I don't know. Just a thought. Oh, Seems that's like a- he could be like, or, or maybe even a, a little bit of a side hustle. You know, yeah. Snape's like Snape's magic potions or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe um, he wouldn't. I don't, I I think he probably detests not only Lupin, but maybe also kind of werewolves with the rest of them. Maybe he doesn't want werewolves, uh, you know, showing up at his door just to buy his potions. I think he just detests people, Blake. That's a good. He just detests people. (laughs) You know, so being a, he really needs a business. He really needs someone like Fred and George Weasley. Unfortunately, because he hates them too, to market his products. That's who he needs. And and he can just work from from home. He'll just work yes, from exactly. home and and see nobody. Stay in his dingy house with Wormtail serving him. You know, just, yes. just that's oh, how he oh likes good. it. That's perfect. Yeah. But another thing we see for Lupin is that he is also not afraid, like mm. Dumbledore is not afraid of saying Lord Voldemort's name. So we get a, a bit of a clue that even here's this shabby robed kind of man who has a lot of things that are against him, like his, his condition of being a werewolf, uh, which we, we don't know, you know, right now, but, uh, all of a sudden, you know, he, he says Voldemort's name, which is such a thing that, you know, Harry notices because it's only him and, and Dumbledore that actually say it. So it peaks, you know, in his ears. And uh, I feel like that's just, you know, it goes to show, you know, here's Lupin and, you know, he's gone through so much, but he's he's still like a courageous wizard. Yeah. And I think it really does add at another level of respect that Harry will have for the man. You know, it's it's something like that, that, that really is meaningful for for Harry. He, he respects Dumbledore. Dumbledore to a great degree and is very loyal to Dumbledore. And for this connection to be made between Lupin and Dumbledore is huge. Yeah, definitely. We see a little bit about Hagrid, not a whole lot this chapter, but I did want to just uh, mention how like, you know, Hagrid continues being kind of this boring teacher now because his his spirit is <laughs> defeated, right? Like, oh, it's and, so sad. You know, it just, and it sucks for the, the him. It sucks for the students. You know, it's just like, oh, this yeah. is so stupid because it is such a wonderful subject, right? Like there, there are so many wonderful wonderful creatures uh in the wizarding world but yeah Hagrid unfortunately is uh yeah is uh, is not not doing his best the the, the only thing I would add to to Hagrid Blake is a a question kind of popped through my mind and this this kind of transitions us into world building but but where is the is the curriculum line between defense against the dark arts and care of magical creatures you know it seems like they're getting a better care of magical creatures education in Defense Against the Dark Arts with Professor Lupin than they are with, with, yeah. with Hagrid. You know, I, I it's especially something like a, a Grindylow is is a physical creature. You know, it's it, it's not like a, a Boggart, which, you know, is not really a creature at all. And so there does seem to be kind of this transition line between the two subjects, which which is interesting. Maybe in um in Care of Magical Creatures, you only have like good creatures. I don't know. <laughs> Whatever that is. Yeah, and then and then nasty or little evil or bad yes, creatures, which yeah, which does yeah. lead us into world building. You know, we won't go into 
huge detail, but like, you know, we've got red cap, we've got the cappers, uh, and then uh, Grindelo, which we, we can uh, mention specifically, which uh, is, is this kind of, it's the answer to the identifying question in the Deathly Hallows book that uh, Lupin asks Harry to know that it's the real Harry, yes, yeah. which I thought was quite mm. interesting, as well as we see Rowling bringing in things in a previous book that will apply in the next book. She does that quite a lot. Yes. And uh, Grindelow, yes. they, they come into the second Triwizard task uh, underwater. And so we already see that, hey, Harry knows these creatures. You know, the, the Defense Against the Dark Arts class, luckily Lupin was the, uh, the teacher this year so that he actually has a bit of knowledge when he goes into these tasks for next year. Yeah, and and I think too with with this his chapter, this is probably the main literary device. Other than some foreshadowing, we'll talk about is this this interbook connections that we see throughout the yeah the series. But but just the fact that in you know a, a random kind of first third of the book chapter in Prisoner of Azkaban, there's a connection to the next book, and then finally to the last book is is just really great. And I think the reason why people keep coming back to these books for rereads is because there are so many connections that are made and you, you really do get a better picture as, as you read them. Unfortunately, Blake, Harry won't really remember exactly what Lupin tells him about the Grindy Low. And <laughs> so as far as the the hands being the the weakness, right? L- Lupin just makes a comment about the, the, the Grindy Low's fingers being strong, but very brittle. Trick is to uh, break his grip. And, yep. and Harry, unfortunately, does not remember that when he's in the second uh, Triwizard task, but at least he has had exposure to it. And and, and you know what? I think it would be a, a wonderful moment in the class. Like it's almost like Lupin giving him inside information. So then say that next lesson, uh, they show up, he goes, hey, is there anything, you know, what is a Grindelow or something like that? And then Harry puts his <laughs> hand up and, and Hermione's got her hand up. And, and once again, you know, Lupin yeah. picks Harry over Hermione and Hermione's kind of sulking to herself. And Harry's like, well, it's a water demon and, and the weakness is kind of in the fingers <laughs> and kind of Lupin must just roll his eyes being like yeah well I told you that yesterday but but yeah so that's quite that's quite good well there's quite a few other world building elements we we see here Blake you see the Hogsmeade Millage primarily through the eyes of Harry and in that we we really only get stories about it we'll get to visit Hogsmeade later so we'll probably save most of our talk for later if that sounds good to you yeah definitely the experience of Hogsmeade is something that I feel like it's easier when Harry gets to actually go there yes Um, you know Ron and Hermione obviously they're not our point of view characters so they kind of just come back with stories and oh this place is great and this place and I love Percy Weasley, right? Like when he's describing like, it's not, it's it's not not that that, great. (laughs) It's not that great. I mean, you know, the Zonko's Jock Show, that's amazing, you know, and this place is cool as, and it's like, it's it's just, and he goes on to describe how great every place is. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, Percy. So good. But yeah, so Hogsmeade Um, is amazing. Yeah. We'll we'll talk about that later, but like Hogwarts itself, we get a pretty mm. big security breach that yes know, all of a sudden yeah. Sirius Black this this apparently like you know this big time murderer is able to get into Hogwarts Castle which is magically protected by a lot of things so all of a sudden mm. you're thinking how on earth is is Sirius able to actually get into the castle yeah and, and it really does raise the question for us of the type of magic he must be using. And unfortunately, we won't realize that for quite a while. But um, every every morning at breakfast should be a clue to us that, that you know, animal-related magic seems to get a bit of a pass at Hogwarts, that mm. owls fly in and out, dropping things off, and yet people cannot just waltz in. So there must be a clue to us there. But but the other thing, Blake, I was I was struck with was 
yes, Sirius Black is is certainly breaching the Hogwarts security, but you know whose security he's not breaching? The fat Who's... lady. <laughs> That that is a surprisingly strong guard. I did not realize, you know, obviously until this book, just, just how 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 great of a defense she was. But but we'll see later on when Sir Kerduggan is 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 guard of the door. Yeah, he's perfectly happy to let a uh, let her let him Sirius Black waltz right in. It's it's like there's no kind of actual mind to it. It's like okay, he, surely yes. he would know because because all the portraits would know a picture of Sirius Black, right? Like they you know the mm. they they kind of train the the portraits to probably you know know because the portraits are such a good defense in the sense that they can actually like be like oh we saw him here you know because there's so many portraits all around the castle but uh, i do find that it's just like sir kadagan man what a what a loser like he just he just lets <laughs> like lets him in and it's like, okay yes you are a you know mass murderer okay but you have all the answers to my questions uh so yes. i will let you in you're like oh so we'll we'll get to that later uh, in, in in later chapters but yeah that's uh, that is a bit of a slap on the face but yeah the fat lady you know points to her for actually being like yeah kind of standing up and and not letting him in i i, I think that's uh, that's quite cool and there's got to be some kind of magical enchantment on those doors you know those portraits that swing open that mm. you know let them in. there's got to be obviously more than just a bit of wood and a bit of paper obviously uh, that's right but the fat lady like coming in strong being like I, i'm not letting you in so good on her yeah exactly <laughs> So good. So good. We've we've mentioned some foreshadowing already, but just to go over things again, as we continue to explore um, how much we know at different points of the book about Lupin being a werewolf, this is a key chapter because Snape prepares this special potion for Lupin and then watches him closely at the feast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is he going to turn? Did I make it right? No, no, no. I don't, yeah, th- yeah. I don't think he's thinking I, I didn't make it right, but it is just funny how he's just kind of keeping close eyes and, and a tabs on Lupin, how he's feeling, obviously any any signs of change. Because because one thing we need to remember is that Snape is, while he is very proficient and, and an amazing potions master, he's also a great defense against the dark arts teacher to a degree, maybe not teacher as such, but he mm. has the knowledge there because he was, you know, you know, hint, hint, in the dark arts. Um, and uh, kind of, he, he understands those probably lots of changes that would happen to Lupin mm. around this. Uh, yes. And so, you know, that there's a bit of foreshadowing that kind of, you know, what, what on earth is this potion for Lupin? Like, you know, he does get sick quite often. He looks quite shabby and we, we've noted all these changes or things that to, to Lupin's appearance, but, but what is this doing? So there's a little bit of foreshadowing, foreshadowing there as, as well as um, another, another part of foreshadowing Crookshanks continues to, to eye up uh, while, while Snape is eyeing up Lupin Crookshanks is eyeing up uh, Scabbers <laughs> and is kind of hunting him down and attacking him. And we're thinking, you know, all we, we're thinking is just, yeah, cats eat rats kind of thing. You know, cats go after mm. rats. That's kind of the natural order of things, but there is more here uh, than what we first see. So, so that is a little hint at foreshadowing. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that's something that we'll continue to pay attention to just in passing uh, because it is another thread that runs throughout the book um, that, that later on we, we get that realization. And, and when we read it again, we're thinking oh, every, every mention of Crookshanks is important, but, uh, but that's probably enough for, for right now. Mm. Uh, the significance of this chapter, we find out lots about Professor Lupin. The relationship between Lupin and Harry uh, yeah. really begins as more than just teacher and, and student. Um, Quidditch starts, which Harry loves. And then finally, Sirius Black gets into Gryffindor Tower. 
Yeah, that's and that's kind of what I said right at the start. Flight of the Fat Lady. It's kind of like the very end of this chapter. Yes, you know, that's that. It's yes. this little extra bit that Sirius Black gets into the town. You're like, what? Like, oh man! And it's just the very end. So it, it kind of leads you into like, and this is great about Rowling's writing and maybe the way she breaks her scenes and where she puts her chapters and stuff like that, that you kind of like, you're like, I've, I've got to keep reading. I've got to like, you know, you want to know more. You want to be like, well, what's happening with Sirius Black? Like, did anybody get hurt? You know, that sort of thing. So I appreciate that. So the significance is, uh, and, it, and I know we didn't talk much about Quidditch this episode, uh, but Quidditch comes back. Oliver Wood's pretty fired up. He needs he needs a win this season. He really yeah, does. He does. And uh, and I love that. Even Fred and George are like, now nah, Oliver, we've got this. We've we come on, man. We've we've yeah. got it in the bag. Yeah. As well as Quidditch will play an important part for Harry, where he actually faces uh, some dementors yes. and yeah. some uh, some student looking dementors. Uh, <laughs> Or some dementor-looking students, I should probably say. Uh, That's so that right. Point. Jokes that's on them, though, when they get hit by the the, the yes. patronum. Ex- exactly. It's uh, finally like, hey, maybe this isn't just a spell that casts a pretty animal and is good against dementors, yes, but it yeah. it does something to humans. It's sort maybe of a, there's some unex- unexplored uses. Yeah. Yeah. There yeah. you go. There you go. Um, the Twelve uses of uh, patroni, <laughs> patronuses, like the dragon blood, but like, but just the exactly the yeah, yeah spell. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you're an Apple user, don't forget to leave a rating and review. Your support helps keep the magic alive. You can send us questions on our Instagram or email muffleyoutopodcast at gmail.com or use the form on our website at www.muffleyoutopodcast.com to continue the adventure. Join us next time as we discuss the ninth chapter of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, Grim Defeat.